Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. We're your hosts, Matt Domney and Kyle Dobbs. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoy the show. Today with us, we actually have two special guests. Um, we have both Will Berkman and Bill Workman. Um, apparently, like so, so Will did let us know that that Bill will not actually be contributing very much to the podcast. Um, so he is, but he is here. So he is. If you guys are watching the video of this, um, he is here. He, so you will be able to see Bill react to all of these. Um, and I say this because we actually don't release the video. So if you are figuring out a way to watch the video, you'll see all of the things that Bill Workman is going to be doing. Um, but if you guys don't know who Will is, Will is a, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a musician, and a part-time coach. I think I got the, all of the introductions, right? Did I get them all? The method acting. I oh, think and a method actor. And a method actor. Yes, 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 yes. He's a big deal. Yeah, I'm actually an aspiring philanthropist. I realized after I said that, that I haven't actually given anything to charity in a while. <laughs> so not only am I full of shit, I'm also, yeah, I'm also <laughs> stuffy. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I am all those things. Here we go. Found, we, everybody just go buy $1,000 worth of Burt coin, and then Will's going to donate it to the charity of his choosing, which is probably his own bank account. That's what I would do. <laughs> So I actually, I was talking with a couple of my mates last night who are actually into crypto. And that's part of the inspiration for me making Bitcoin, by the way, was just to troll my mates because I'm so sick of them talking about it. And one of their friends actually made a joke coin called Safe Nutsack after Safe Moon came out, right? Um, and they actually made money from it because- what I made did, a lot of money off it. <laughs> No, well, like they actually gave it a purpose. They, I think they gave it a burn rate or something, but they also said like 10% of every transaction or whatever ends up getting, getting funneled to some testicular cancer charity. And so a whole bunch of people were like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Like I'll buy this joke, safe nutsack coin, made some money for charity. And then this dude walked away with like five or six grand from just doing something as a joke for half an hour. Um, so, you know, there's a possibility, like you could actually do it for good purposes. But for me, I did it entirely for attention. <laughs> oh man so well, i think will your your raised rise to fame was when your strap broke when you were deadlifting in your living room i think right yeah i went through a um i actually had a post before that that was even bigger but the strap breaking in the living room was one of them so i went through a phase in quarantine apparently this is the thing when people are bored they just become more creative i found that in myself and so up until then, I'd been trying to cultivate an image of being 90% serious and 10% entertaining. And then in quarantine, I had this big sense of like, I don't know, sort of existential dread that just made me think it'd be more fun to just be funny all the time. So my account mostly became memes. And this was also when I started smashing the, the chocolate bunnies in front of my mom and filming her reactions. That was awesome. <laughs> All this stuff, it lives on on my Instagram and posterity. But, um, but yeah, I was I didn't have enough weights at home. Like I was pretty well off. I had five hundred pounds of weights, but I didn't have enough to like actually train my deadlifts heavy. So on my heavy deadlift day, I was pulling against the thickest strap that I had, um, and I was using a shitty bar with no knurling, and so I was using yeah um, wrist straps, and one of them eventually wore through and snapped. And I had this very sort of funny reaction where, you know, I sort of staggered off to the side. 
And I got contacted by a couple of accounts that wanted to share it. And one was like a Jim Fails Snapchat page that has 3 million followers or something. And so that went nuclear. But within a couple of posts of that, I made, I think this is my funniest Instagram post ever. I got the adults react video that was adults react to Godzilla by Eminem. And the, you know, the part where he's rapping at like 200 words a second or something. Yeah. And all these people are going like, oh my God, like he goes so hard and like, wow, he's so impressive. And I got like just this 15 second snippet of people talking about how crazy Eminem is and replaced the video of Eminem with just a video of me squatting. And I wrote like, you know, this is like how, how Instagram powerlifters think people respond to their mundane training updates. And <laughs> it went bonkers, man. Like that, that got shared like, I don't know, like five or 800 times. And it was getting shared like in Russia and China and shit. <laughs> I was getting DMs from people with like, what's the Russian language? Cyrillic or something? Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm getting DMs in that. Like, and I'm going like, bro, I have no idea what you're saying. So I'm just like, <laughs> but yeah, my account just fired up because I was just making like joke post after joke post. I made one right at the start of quarantine where when I went... Long story, but I went traveling for a few months, a few years ago, and I left like the day after Christmas. And so for Christmas, I got my parents a life-size cardboard cut out of myself because I was like, this way, like I'll still be around while I'm gone so you won't have to miss me. <laughs> and we've had this creepy, like six foot tall cutout. So it's actually bigger than life-size because I, you know, I figured while I have the chance. <laughs> right. up. Yeah. I'm also 6'2". <laughs> this. this is great. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, cardboard cutout. I also made the biceps slightly larger. And of course. It's been sitting in my parents' house and my mum has like she shares a bit of my sense of humor. So she's been leaving this cardboard cutout around the house in weird places for ages. She had it looking out a window at one stage. So when you're walking <laughs> the house, you see this guy lurking. And my dog is really scared of it. So eventually she put the cardboard cutout in the basement because she was like, I don't want to keep scaring the dog because it would walk into a room, see this thing and just shit. It would like start running away. So, so she put it in the basement and I dragged it out at the start of quarantine and I basically put it around myself while I was training like a spotter. So I had it there spotting me, bench pressing and squatting and I had it like standing next to me on the lawn while I did burpees and I put it together with music and had, um, had like text and things appearing on the screen and I, I basically pitched it as a product that you can buy to help you train through quarantine. And I said, you know, you can like, you can get this personal training service. It's hygienic and inspiring. And like, it was so obviously satire, but basically saying for 500 bucks, you get this and a workout program that you can do with three teaspoons and a packet of cinnamon or something like really. Dumb. <laughs> yeah. And Instagram deleted it straight away and sent me the message saying, you know, like you're trying to profiteer off COVID and we can't have that and all this shit. And I was like, you must be joking. They eventually reinstated it. But the second that happened, I was like, no, I'm leaning into this. I'm just doing joke posts only. And so from there, it just went memeier and memeier and memeier. And then the deadlift thing was just a happy accident. But by the time that lockdown finished, everyone was like, well, you know, this guy has absolutely nothing of value to offer, but he's pretty funny. And so my following had about doubled. It was great. See, I make, I make some memes, but mine are more like hurtful to people than they are funny, I think. And that's, that's probably not the exact reaction that most people are looking for when they see them. Yeah. When well, Kyle and I make a meme, we try to make it super directed at one particular person <laughs> who's just like, 
and it's not like it's not any particular person but it's somebody who's said dumb shit regularly or like some random person who continuously says dumb it's stuff it's a proxy it's a proxy, it's a proxy of a, like a group of people right where it's like this this could be one dumb person today and a totally another dumb person tomorrow but we make memes that are targeted specifically at that one person that often usually blow up and people are like yeah this is great and that one person just knows it's about them <laughs> yeah so i've like i've actually very deliberately limited the jokes that i do that could be taken as a jab at people because like one of the things that i have done and that i really enjoy is making fun of like the female fitness influencers who just show their ass mm -hmm. um but i always like i always want to sort of make sure that nobody thinks i'm actually taking a personal jab at them because for instance at one stage i was training a few girls who have a big instagram following who are fitness influencers and they're so far above that you know they like they create great training programs and great information and all these things. But the last thing I would want would be for me to imitate them in the service of a joke and then have them take it personally or have other people that I'm just friends with think that I'm making fun of them. And so I've sort of deliberately made all my jokes center on myself a little bit more rather than like, rather than punching at somebody else. I've been like, you know, we can all laugh at me. And also part of that's in service of the fact that like, I just hate the, there's this sort of stereotype or this like belief about fitness people that they're really self-obsessed and they take themselves seriously, which is true <laughs> in many instances. And so I was like, I, I don't think that's necessary. I think it's possible to like take your training seriously without taking yourself seriously. And you should be able to have some fun. So for me, I'm like, I can make as much fun of myself as I want, but I really don't want my jokes to be interpreted as like stabs at other people um, if I can avoid it. And if I want to have a stab at somebody else, then like, I'll just have a, an open stab at them. Um, but even then I, like, I try not to do that too much, you know, because like, I don't, I don't actually think it changes people's minds either for me to talk shit about other people. I think like, in fact, there's evidence that if you give people evidence to the contrary of their current opinions, they it just get some more biased in theirs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They, they yeah. double down. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, it doesn't really serve anything for me to point out how much of a dumb shit somebody is, but I can point out, I can point out sort of silly things about myself and I can give them good information and just leave it with them. And I found this is the same with coaching clients. Sometimes rather than telling them why they're wrong, you just present evidence for the opposite case mm -hmm. and just leave it with them and give them enough, like, yeah, enough stimulus to get the ball rolling and then they change their mind. So both because I don't want to be mean and because I don't think it really helps, I try not to make too much fun of other people. But it has limited me a few times when I've been like, fuck, this is really funny content, but I just don't know if I can quite <laughs> pull the on it. You know? I don't know if I can post this one, but this would go so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It pains me as well because I get more joy. Like going back to the Bill Workman thing, um, Bill says hello. Going back to that thing, you know, the best fun about me having these these like alternate personas that I answer Q&A with and stuff is the fact that you can do dumb shit on the internet and people will just go along with you with it. So, you know, when I, when I first got Bill to answer Q&As, the fact that within 30 minutes, I had like 50 people wanting to respond and interact with this fake character and just join the make-believe, like that is so gratifying to me. And so again, like the dumber and the dumber and just more fun it can be for everyone, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Like you want it to be positive. You want everyone to have a good time. And then once you've tricked them into paying attention, you can give them a little bit of useful fitness information, but not too much so that they stay around, you know? And that's been method to the madness.
I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is though. I mean, like if we're looking at training or fitness and things and like things like this in general, the, a lot of, and Kyle and I talk about this very often, like a lot of the people who look at this stuff and who present information are presenting it for their own validation and for their peers to think that they're really, really smart. And they're not necessarily presenting the information in a way that's relatable to the person that they're trying to target. It's more for the, so like they'll, their peers will just like drop a little clapping emoji as opposed to having somebody else who could actually benefit from the information, getting something out of it in terms and everything that they can understand. Mm. And I think um, that's something that I've definitely fallen prey to. I mean, I prefer- oh, all to, of us have. Well, I prefer to talk to coaches at the level of thinking that coaches operate at. But when I started training a lot of clients, I kind of realized that I can't talk to my clients like that and it doesn't help. And many people do operate far better with less information and more sort of cheerleading and encouragement and things. And in writing my content, I, I sort of decide post by post, is this a post for coaches or is this a post for athletes? And if it's a post for athletes, then I want the takeaway to be something simple like, you know, go in and train hard and have fun. And if it's a post for coaches, then I want them to come away with like a theoretical understanding but I think if you write to athletes and try and just prove how smart you are, you don't really help anybody particularly. And the, the other thing that, the other thing that you sort of see a lot with people who do spend their time trying to post for validation, you know, to sound smart or for their own purposes is like, it doesn't come across as very authentic. And this is kind of part of the same reason why I like to do dumb things on my page is because it's actually part of how I am. But I read so many posts from, from other coaches and, you know, some of my clients who are PTs and things where I'm like, this doesn't, when I read it, it doesn't sound like you. It doesn't seem to truly represent your beliefs. And sometimes you read things and you go, I don't even think you really know what you're saying. You're just touching on the things that are sort of like the buzz phrases or the mm -hmm. buzz thought of the day, but you're not providing any of your own unique spin on it. And more and more in my time in fitness, it's been like, the more, the more I just reflect myself personally and my beliefs and my thought processes and yeah, in some instances just like act dumb and have fun, the better people respond to it because people just respond to authenticity. And so being sort of full of shit and just trying to impress people doesn't actually help, you know? A hundred percent. And I mean, that's the biggest thing that we talk about with a lot of the people that we work with is again, just the, the communication, like assimilation factor of social media and understanding that, you know, kind of like you said, there's some posts where, you know, you, you want to get out of concept and it's definitely geared towards a certain population or, or a training demographic or a, a peer demographic, so to speak. And then there's other posts where it's just like, it is more motivational or more like, Hey, this is what I'm doing right now. Like if you're interested in it, let's have a conversation about it type of thing. And the, that's kind of the, you know, the whole, um, just kind of talking about the trending and, and kind of the buzzwords and things like that. I mean, that's, that's something you see everywhere, but social media, I think is the place where people can fake it the best. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's why you see it so much. Like if you're, if you're in a gym actually talking to coaches and you have a back and forth conversation, somebody actually has to have substance behind that knowledge base. Right. Because you're going to ask questions and have a discussion. You're going to discourse about it. It's much easier to just slap something down on social media and leave it there and not answer questions or, or whatever. Um, it's always a red flag for me when coaches like, cause we'll hear coaches complain about like people asking questions. Yeah. That's always my favorite one. And it's like, what, what'd you expect for them to do? Right? Like that's, 
that's either the intent or it's not the intent. But if it's not the intent, you should probably just keep posting like squat videos, right? If that's if that's what you're going to be, you know, if that's the reaction you want out of it. Yeah, and I. I sort of had a thought midway through that that I lost when you said the questions thing because I was thinking maybe I could have like a question surcharge for my clients and sort of have the entry-level no questions membership where you just do what you're told. <laughs> and then, um, no, I, I think what you said about discussions, that's, this is what I was thinking. One of the big gifts that I had um, when myself and Alex started our podcast was that we got to rather than just saying like, this is what we do rather than that, you actually had to sort of justify your beliefs a little bit. And it, I think in some ways it made me going back to authenticity. It made me come across as more authentic because rather than me saying like, this is what I believe about training. And if I were to listen back a hundred episodes, 50% of it, I would think that's bullshit and wrong now, but which is good. So I'm like, it's like excused by the fact that I say, these are the reasons I think what I think. And so my beliefs have emerged from these reasons as my reasoning changes, my beliefs ought change as well. And so rather than like the practices that you're putting out, just being like monolithic, like this is just what you do always. You say, well, this is my thinking right now. And I think being forced to articulate that both helps you identify like the areas of ambiguity. You say, well, actually, I'm not really sure about this because I can't really justify why I think or act a certain way. It's just what I've always done, but also gives you recourse to change your actions in future. And I think because fitness has become so bite-sized and, you know, we do communicate by Instagram stories and by posts and shit like that. People are really, really quick to, to sort of just like narrow their thinking and just express things in really simple terms and not actually think deeper because there's no point in thinking deeper if you can't communicate it in whatever it is, the Instagram word count, you know? Um, and so having the odd long form discussion, whether it's in person with a coach or in a mentorship or on a podcast or whatever, just lets you tease things out a bit further in a way that a lot of people don't get to do. Right. Well, that's also one of the very difficult parts about social media is it is a terrible medium for long form content and for actual long form discussions. Like, especially with the most recent update where whenever you press on the comment thread, half of them just disappear and you only see like two of the comments anyway. So it's just one of those things where it becomes, it becomes a good way to get people in but it's a terrible way to engage and actually have long-term conversations with somebody or long form conversations or disseminate any good information, which makes it almost like, well, how am I going to, how am I going to advertise this? And I think the way that you've done it, where you're just going to be funny and marketable and engaging with people is a really good way to go about doing so because it does, it definitely gets people to, to bridge that gap and take the first step and engage with you so that they can then learn more about what you do. Yeah. And I remember, um, ages ago, not ages, a few years ago, I was working at a gym. Um, and this is funny, this is business advice, but the gym went out of business. So maybe it's not that good, but, <laughs> but the guy, um, the guy spoke about sort of creating a value ladder in your services, you know, where, where you have things of escalating cost but escalating investment on the client's part. And it might be that you need a hundred people at value ladder level one before you get one or two at value ladder level five, where you're really making a lot of money. But I think there's something similar in the content that you create. Like if you can make some things that are very accessible that people can just enjoy and it just piques their interest a little bit, excuse me, just piques their interest a little bit, then some will be interested enough to walk a little bit further up the chain. So maybe you have some stories of me in fancy dress pretending to be someone else. And then I've got a post that's a few paragraphs long 
But then from there, they might want to watch an IGTV video or they might want to read an article and then it, they might want to listen to a podcast and then eventually they might want to join my mentorship. But you've got to sort of meet people at the level they're at. And that's a bit, that's a bit like coaching as well. Like nobody walks into the gym on sort of day one saying, I want to learn to powerlift and expects to be treated like they're in there trying to win worlds. Like at that stage, they just want to figure out whether they like squatting, you know? And the same thing's true with your content. Like if you're trying to pitch things at people way up here, and they're way down here, then you're going to miss them all anyway. So you might as well, might as well treat social media for what it is, which is ephemeral and fun and just be yourself. And then, you know, have the more permanent, more valuable stuff where people who want it can find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is, you know, I, I think um, people like fall into two buckets, right. And, and it, it generally humans fall into the extremes in most environments, but you, you have people who literally put out nothing of consequence and it's just like, maybe it's the, the fitfluencer that's just, you know, it's all abs and ass, right? Or maybe, and then you have people where everything is just blocks and paragraphs of information or overloading information sometimes and probably information with very little context because as Matt said, social media is not, is not a platform for context, right? Everybody kind of goes in with their own narrative for every post and that's where most of the, discussions usually kind of take place and very few people tread the middle really well and try to think about like what you're describing is almost like you know again like building out you know almost like a you know program right where you've got almost like a concurrent like posting model where it's like all right like once or twice a week I'm going to put out something with a little bit more depth and the rest of the time it's going to be kind of uh here's what I did today and here's something funny and with that you can kind of attract different populations at different levels of understanding, but you can show value to all of them fairly equally, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the rationale behind it, but I'm also cognizant of the fact that like, I try not to mistake things that have accidentally worked for me as evidence Mm -hmm. of my own intelligence. And one thing. Don't say that in the training industry, man. Like that's, that's, that's I was going to say, that's all IG fitness is. <laughs> that's what training is, my friend. I was, I was talking to my own coach about this. In fact, the two discussions I, I'm going to mention were both with my own coach. So one was I trained this, um, this girl called Yanni from Australia who has been a world champion powerlifter. She's a machine. She's had world records. And I coached her for 14 or 15 weeks leading into nationals last year. And in nationals, she hit two unofficial world records and then Australian records in all three lifts and the total. Uh, and she hit a 27 kilo total PB at a, at a weight class down from her best ever performance. And I was like, I am the best coach in the world. I was walking around like hands in the air, like just, you know, expecting to have sh- praise showered on me. And then she immediately wanted to take a break from powerlifting and went and did bodybuilding for the first time in her life and won the overall after like four months. And I was like, oh, actually, I think she might just be obscenely talented. <laughs> and there's, there's so much of that. in people, people do things. It's like anything you did could have worked with certain people, um, you know? And so, yeah, there's the risk of thinking you're too good. But going back to what I was saying before is like that concurrent posting model. Like I like to think that by doing things like that, I'm really sucking in every person who might be interested in me. But at one stage I did a client audit. This was back when I was doing like 30 in-person sessions a week. And so across a week, I kind of just asked everybody, so why did you choose to train with me? Because many of them weren't even members of the gym that I was working at. They'd come to see me specifically. 
And I was thinking they would say, I read one of your articles. It was so good. I listened to your podcast. Like it resonated with me. And I think it was like 15 or 18 of the 30 said, I follow you on Instagram and you've got a really cool dog. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> you know, but that is, that almost says something for the fact that you've kind of just got to be yourself and let the people who resonate with what you are come to you. Cause what these people said basically was like, you have a cool dog, you play guitar, like you seem like a normal guy and you're interested in the same things as I am in fitness. But the fact that we have that sort of that slightly deeper level of connection that says we're similar people makes you approachable to me. And going all the way back to what I was saying before, I think a lot of people look at people in fitness and think this guy's some fucking lunatic who tracks their macros, you know, neurotically and only cares about their training and their abs and doesn't have a life outside the gym. And just being reminded that actually you can be normal. You can be good fun and like the same shit as other people and still happen to like lifting weights. Like, that's valuable, you know, and people shy away from that too quickly in the quest to sort of impress other coaches by talking about their fucking diaphragm or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's a trigger yeah. word. Did you say the D word? Yeah, it's a trigger word. <laughs> we're going to have to, we're going to put an explicit warning on this. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to beep that out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I'm 26 I'm, minutes in here. When I say diaphragm, because if anybody's well, ever seen me move, it's like, oh God, this guy is fucked up. Like he, he you guys so lateral. <laughs> you know Jamie Smith, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he um Strength Culture were running a seminar in Sydney at one stage and I went to it. It was good. I was really hungover. Um, but he afterwards I was like, Man, I'm having some trouble with my bench. That's been my life for 15 years. And he was like, he was just checking me out, moving and breathing. And he was like, Bro, you are the most twisted guy. I, and there, I actually got rid of an expletive, by the way, for yeah. you guys. So I'll say diaphragm, but I won't say the word he said that. But he was like, bro, you are the most twisted guy and you can't breathe. And I was like, sick. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like, what do we do? He's like, ah, you're just doomed forever, man. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah you're super fucked. So well, anyway, I, mean, I haven't lifted weights since. Yeah. I mean, that, that literally happened to me when I was 18. Like, when I was 18, I, tweet, I did something to my knee. And like, I went to – like, it was really bad. I couldn't, like, extend or flex my knee for a while. So I went to a, like the hospital for special surgery in New York, which is one of the number one, like top orthopedic clinics in the world. And I failed every single one of the tests. So like, they're like, you, it looks like from the physical examination, you don't have an ACL, LCL, MCL, PCL, or anything. Like, it looks like you got no tissue there. And they're like, we need to get you into an MRI now. I'm 18. So I'm like freaking out. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to have a total knee replacement or all of my ligaments are going to have to be reattached. I get the MRI done. They call me in the next day and they're like, we got, we got a weird response report from your MRI. I'm like, okay, what is it? And they just, they, they, this is the doctor. He's like the head of knees at the, at this hospital. Cause like we knew a guy, he works with the jets and the giants and the Yankees. And he literally just puts my MRI up on the, on the thing. And he goes, you see this? And I was like, yeah, he goes, yeah, your knees are just shitty. I was like, what do you, <laughs> I was like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, there's the, like, you see all this space there. He's like, there shouldn't be any of that space there. So you're like, your knees are just like badly built. I was like, so like, what do we do with it? He's like, ah, you're just going to be like that until you get them replaced or die. And I was like, thanks man. I'm 18 years old. This is going to be fun. <laughs> and so have you had the replacement? No, 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 no replacement. Not getting that done anytime soon. But it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, sometimes it just be like that. And you just yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's like the ignorance is bliss thing, right? Like I swear when I was 18, nothing that hurt hurt for more than a day. And yeah. like I'm, maybe I was healing quicker. 
And like, I couldn't get tired from training because training was fun, not tiring. Mm. And like, everything was just better. And I know Kyle, you've posted so much about like nocebic language and being careful with what you say. But honestly, the more knowledge I get about the body and the more ways I've learned that I could be fucked up, the more paranoid I become. And like, I come from a family of real hypochondriacs, you know? Like if you talk to my dad, he might be dying at any given moment. Like, <laughs> well, te- technically we all are. Yeah, or slowly. Like, and, slowly. Slowly, some are just faster than others. Yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm like live fast, die young by nature. That's not true at all. I'm like, <laughs> I'm the most wholesome I life. Live conservative, live conservative. <laughs> Every time I walk past the fridge, I have like a handful of spinach just to make sure that like I'm <laughs> But like, yeah, the more I learn shit about the body, the more I'm like, oh no, like I'm so fucked. Like, you know, I've been obsessed with the fact that my left tibia might not rotate correctly for like 18 months now because somebody said something once. And I'm like, I don't know how to fix that. I've been like, do I just like brace my leg against something and twist violently? Like, will that hurt it? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, if you want some, I've got extra tibial rotation on both sides. I'll send some of it your way. Yeah, take some of the empty space in your knee and give it back to me. I'll do whatever I got to do, man. (laughs) I actually did have apparently fucked knees to the opposite reason because I had um, meniscectomies on both sides um, because I had discoid menisci. So instead of having like the the crescent moon-shaped shit that you're meant to have, my meniscus was just a disc, so there was no there was no proper space in there. It's a full moon. It was a yeah, full moon. That's perfect. Full moon. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's even, that's better actually. Like nobody goes and looks at a crescent moon, but when you have a full moon, people love it. And so apparently that predisposes you to meniscal tears. And then I had the unfortunate coincidence when I was eighteen of being like one hundred and eighteen kilos, which is I don't even know how many pounds that is. It's more than it should be. So what, um, what is that like two six that's like 257 258 yeah it's like what big. i weigh now so thanks for making me yeah, i remember i'm <laughs> i'm tall when i exaggerated so i was like 118 <laughs> kilos but i was also training like 10 to 12 times a week like i was doing weightlifting and playing rugby and doing like hit and shit heaps and apparently those two things together like the discoid meniscus and really high volumes of training three things and being fat all predisposed to meniscal tears. So I had them in subsequent years. And when they did do my left knee, this must be why the tibia doesn't rotate. Um, when they did the left knee, they had to take out quite a lot of stuff. And so there was a while after where like, I couldn't squat for shit. So one of the reasons I ended up in powerlifting was actually that I couldn't do weightlifting anymore for like six or eight months because when I squatted deep, it really hurt. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I can kind of low bar squat to like just on parallel. And I still like lifting. So that was like the first entry point again. But it was about, because that knee, I thought it was fucked. It was like two and a half years before I actually let myself do a full depth high bar squat. And then I realized it was actually kind of fine. Um, but, but yeah, that was how I got there. It was basically they took out part of my knee and then I was like, well, I'm going to be a powerlifter now. And so I did. I, I love that your entry point into powerlifting was looking for something with partial ranges of motion. <laughs> <laughs> like... That's actually not strictly true, but it's close enough. I've got, um, I've, I've got exaggerated over to that, though. <laughs> yeah. I, have a, I have an Instagram account that you should follow then. He is a doctor, and he loves partial range of motion everything. Now, no, he's talking a, a about golf. This guy, like, <laughs> if you look at fitness Instagram as, like, this incredible, like, meta humor universe... Joel Seedman is the protagonist. I love that guy <laughs> because like 
for all that every post of his is a fucking ebook sale thing yeah. and the 90 degree joint angle thing kind of misses the point for all of that he's so creative and like it looks like fun and, and like, if I think back to the golden age of my training, when I was having the best time in the world, I had no idea what I was doing. Like we still give one of my mates shit because he thought behind the neck shoulder press worked your lats. And so we talk about <laughs> the lat press all the time. Um, and like back then, anything Joel Seedman did, I would have given a try just for fun, you know? And so now when I look at it, I'm like, fuck, this guy is killing the game. Like he's probably making a way better living than me. And he's doing it, having a good time. And I reckon he sits there for an hour a day with a notepad on his knees, just thinking, fuck, what can I do tomorrow? You know, see, what can I do? And he's killing it. That so, is, see, that's my question is I'm torn. Like I'm, I'm legitimately like 50, 50 wondering if it is just the biggest fitness troll job that we've ever seen. And he does actually think of just ridiculous things to do. Like, I swear, I, I saw one, one of the last posts I saw, there was a woman with her entire body suspended by bands in a rack and, and like doing like single leg jumps horizontally off of like a racked barbell or something just absolutely like no load, no nothing, just an accident waiting to happen. Every band in the gym being used. And, and I, in my head, I was just like, this has got to be like, he's got to just be fucking with us. This like there's has to be a joke. There, like this can't be something he thinks is serious. Right. But then at the same time, I'll see him like, you know, squatting a trap bar, like sideways, right. Where it's Which like, we a, literally did as a joke two oh, years ago. Yeah, we I had, did that as a joke six months ago. Yeah. It's it just like, I do things. And then Joel Seedman's doing them. And I'm like, maybe he's got me. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, God, he's doing it in front of, 300,000 people or whatever he's he's getting me and you're just like man like you know all those ghost accounts that follow you that have zero posts zero followers he's one um, like 4,000 following he's probably one of them he looks at he's like this is it this is it he gives me a shout out that will be like the peak of my fitness career I actually don't (laughs) care I will take it I mean we've spoken up until now like any publicity is good publicity for me I just want the attention um but I have this like ethos that comes from when I used to work in commercial gyms because there were all these trainers around me and some of them were great. Like at one stage I was working with some PTs who I was like, these guys are incredible. But obviously mixed in with them, there were a bunch of absolute fuckwits. Matt and I both we worked worked in commercial gyms for for a while. Years and years and years. So you know what I'm talking about. There's that range. There are some people where it's like you're providing a good hospitality service and no PT. There's some people who don't even get to the hospitality service. Yeah. (laughs) They just suck. And there are some who are great, but I found that I would talk to the people whose training methods. I was like, this is all a waste of time. I would talk to the people like that, where I was like, yeah, this is dumb as shit. And I would still come away with some things where I was like, oh, that's actually useful. That's an idea that I can pack away and maybe take it on. And so I look at Joel Seedman's posts and I go, you know, like some of this is pretty fucking bonkers. Like the chick with the bands and stuff like, yeah, there's probably not much good in that. But sometimes I, I, ha- I do find myself going through that thought process of going like, is there something I can learn from this? And once I get too deep into it, I'm like, fuck, he actually has gotten me because I'm taking him really seriously. It, it's, it's like that meme with uh, the guy. Oh, God, what's his name? Zach, Zach Galifianakis with like all the, like the physics and trigonometry things like floating around his yeah. head. It's like, you know, <laughs> there just might be something to that. 
I know that he's both banded and reverse banded and and like horizontally banded that trap bar and it's now it's just floating in space but there might actually be something to that he he commented read the article one too many times and you're like you know what i think i'm going i'm going to read the article i'm gonna read the article and i am gonna come back when i have something useful to say (laughs) (laughs) that's what he told matt that's what he told me. You ask for substantiation. That's actually what I need to do is start posting like maybe <laughs> once or twice a week, just complete shit. And then when people get in and angrily ask for substantiation, I can refer them to my other content and just boost my SEO. Exactly. The rest, the rest of what I do, if it's good enough, it'll hold up. That's actually a genius plan. That is actually a really good plan. He's, the marketing is fantastic. Um, like he, he definitely, he has a system, right? Because, and then it's like, he's also got like, I don't know, like what, like 20 to 30, like self-published studies where he's, yeah. where it's like every resource is like him just citing his own papers and like this circle jerk of like research where it's like Seedman et al for like everything. <laughs> There's just, you're just like, published like, in the journal of Seedman. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like <laughs> published in, you know, yeah. It's, you're just like, wow this is actually like uh like if i look through these articles of like seedman et al 2007 and seedman et al 2012 like there is a corollary between what seedman is doing in 2020 and it all makes sense now and this is fantastic years of research have gone gone into (laughs) (laughs) i love that yeah he's got his own uh like his own pubmed section which is just the joel seedman section seedmed yeah (laughs) that's sick i remember um i think they mentioned this on the stronger by science podcast like there is what's it called the um what's the personality the complete bullshit personality test where you get your ntjs and intjs and oh that's the myers-briggs yeah yeah not i was like anagrams but no it's myers-briggs yeah no the Enneagram or whatever is even worse. That's that nine. That's like the nine numbers or whatever. Um, yeah, that one's even worse. But the the Myers Briggs one turns out like half of the evidentiary support for that is published in the journal of Myers Briggs. <laughs> and, then they, and then they were talking about how you get published in the journal of Myers Briggs, and it's just like it's it's literally you pay to get published in it, but if you get published in it, then you can make money off it yourself, and it's basically a pyramid scheme. And yeah, that's the trouble with like PubMed generally is if you get on it, you can more or less find anything that you want to. Oh, you can justify anything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we've had our next business model. Yes. I I wouldn't mind that. Like Dobbs and Domney. (laughs) (laughs) And there have been troll scientific articles that have gotten through peer review now. I know there was that person who, um, who was trying to make fun of social sciences. I heard about this on Rogan. And he, his big study, I think he got nominated for an award for it. He was posing as a female researcher. So he literally used a fake name and then he posted some study about like the patterns of dogs humping other dogs at parks as a study of rape culture. And that, that got published and he was being contacted by people for it. And I was like, this is extraordinary. The fact that things like that actually make it there, but they do. And the fact that you can get on PubMed and look that up and then therefore think it's while information like that is a concern you know we, i mean we had, we had mike t nelson on uh, a couple of weeks ago and that was one of the things that he talked about is the peer review process is he's, just he's a peer reviewer yeah and he's just like it's 
you have some people, just like anything else, like any, anywhere you have a group of people, you're going to have a ton of diversity. And he's like, you have some people where you'll read like their revisions and they might've like edited like one there to there. Right. And then you go through it and it's just garbage and you've got red lines everywhere. And you're just like, did we read the same paper? Like, wow. Okay. <laughs> this is going to, this guy gets sent through and it's They're like, you awful. should change that comma to a semicolon. And it's like, that's the only thing he's like, all of these other points are wrong. Like, what do you, what, <laughs> that was all you found? Like, terrible. <laughs> it's a sample size of two. Yeah. Like, what are we yeah, doing? You, you've got that happening on one side. I actually, my master's thesis got published and it, absolutely oughtn't have um but i i wasn't the principal author by the time it got published my supervisor had rewritten it but that got published and they very substantially rewrote what i did and redid all the analyses and things but at the same time i don't really think that's how it ought to operate like you should be gathering your data with a set of tests that you're intending to conduct and a bunch of results that or a bunch of hypotheses that you're intending to test and they absolutely did everything post hoc which is not good but on the research side, you have people where their entire career is predicated upon getting things out. And mm -hmm. so they're incentivized to, you know, look at data in ways that they hadn't intended to and, you know, find spurious correlations and post them and all sorts of shit. And then on the peer review side, you have a whole bunch of people who aren't actually being paid to do their job, you know, who are you know, doing it for their CV or whatever it happens to be. And some of them, like Mike said, don't really give a shit or look at much. And some of them also just have their own ax to grind. And so, they're only going to let things through if it supports their ideological position. And it's just, it's not to say science is bad. Science is great, but there is like, there are problems with that process. I'm not really sure how to fix it and I'm not in that world. So I just, you know, shake my head and move on, but it's certainly not, it's not a flawless process. Bring us back to Seedman et al. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, so, somebody asked me, like, I'll get every now and then, like I'll post something and it's literally just, my opinion on something because it's my page right and and people will be like they'll mess with me like oh do you have any like studies or research on that and i'm like and i'll just respond back I'm like no like this just is respond with a picture of your biceps yeah it's like <laughs> this is this is fitness it's all like, the evidence i need i was like fitness research is total garbage i don't have any like research based on this like it's like all the research in fitness has been done on geriatric populations like i don't think we're going to get like cross-sectional analyses and meta-analyses of like uh whether or not like squatting past 90 degrees is going to cause like more uh, increased mortality rate or something of that nature um or the new switch, switch, switch grip deadlift is going to lead. Yeah. yeah, switch grip deadlifts are going to lead to uh, a faster, faster, worse death than, uh, you know. Firstly, I've been a subject in a couple of fitness studies and I resent being called geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about with Mike. The, the other population is uh, they'll literally grab like grad students out of the cafeteria and be like, hey, you want 20 bucks? <laughs> Yeah, seriously. Well, in Sweden, it's even better because I think their system in their undergrad degrees is you have to volunteer for studies or else you don't get your degree. So when I was doing arts, the way they tried to incentivize us to do psychology studies was you got, I think, an additional 5 or 10% on your grade if you did a study. So it's just optional. Um, but it obviously could help people who weren't going to pass, pass. In Swedish undergrad, I think it is, you have to do a study or you don't pass. 
And so the way they get all these people doing some of their fucked up exercise science research is the people who've left it too late. And so I remember we were, when we were studying like lactate responses to high intensity exercise. Oh God. (laughs) They were doing like wing gates and then immediately taking a muscle biopsy from them and shit. And they were doing that like fucking five or six times over the course of a month. (laughs) And it's just the students who've gotten late in the P's and they're like, Oh fuck, I'm not going to get a degree unless I let these people mutilate me. And have you guys ever seen a biopsy get done? Oh, I, I've had multiple. I've had lots of bi- I have melanoma, so I get biopsied all the time. Oh, shit. Well, sorry to hear that. But when I first- I, I'm a survivor, bro. It's, you made it real dark for a second. No, there, no, we're okay. We're, it's all sunshine and rainbows <laughs> over here. I gotta- well, I saw a biopsy. Bill get- Workman started crying. It was rough. Like, that was yeah. bad. You just say underneath the reflective glasses. <laughs> yeah, you, just, you put a sunglasses. Single tear. Um, <laughs> But no, I, when I first saw a biopsy get done, because um, on my placement, I was like assisting with some exercise science studies. We had this lady come in and if you haven't seen one, she was getting one done on her quad. And so she's lying there on this bed and they've made a decent size incision in her quad. And then the machine that they were using to take this biopsy was like a yabby pump. Do you guys know what a yabby is? Like no. a... Nope. That um, is most definitely an Australian thing. I would love it. Yeah, that's they're like it. a little crawfishy thing that lives in the sand. Like they burrow into little holes, like a little prawn with claws that they grab at <laughs> shit with. And the way that you catch them is you find the holes in the sand that's in like shallow water in the little tidal bits. And you go in and you get this, you get this pump. It's like, it's like a bike pump type of apparatus and you shove it on the end of the hole and then you pull the pump and because it creates a vacuum around the entrance to the hole, it sucks up all the sand and water. And then you spray it out onto the dry ground and there'll be a yabby in there with all the sand and you just grab it with your hand, right? And it makes this sort of squelchy noise as you suck it up and shoot it out. Well, this biopsy, this woman's conscious and she's got like a local, obviously, in her leg, big incision in there. And there's this researcher looking her in the eye with this yabby pump thing jammed on her leg going... <laughs> and I'm standing there in the corner like horrified <laughs> while this person just sucking this fucking biopsy out and just dropping it into liquid nitrogen or whatever in front of this chick yeah. and i was like fuck this is so invasive like and she was happy as larry i'm like i'm an absolute fucking wuss because there is no way i would be letting someone do that to me i'd be like knock me out like give me a full general <laughs> okay so so my biopsies were nothing like that just right. just want to okay. clarify we, that that is an australia this is literally this like Australia is just different. Like yeah. it's, it's just a different place in America. I mean, the, the memes about Australia are everything in Australia can kill you. And apparently muscle biopsies like, are included in yes. everything. Yes. <laughs> it's the clarity that was all conducted upside down as well, by the way. Yes, because that is the f- way that Australia exists. It's everything is upside down. Yes. Man, Australian humor, like you guys, um, Joel Meir, right? You guys. Yes. Amazing. Yep. He has been using me as like his Australian cultural go-to resource. I love it. And I haven't realized how much of like Australiana, because we don't really have culture, but we call it Australiana and it's just anything to do with Australia. I didn't realize how much of Australiana goes over Americans' heads because I send him like Australian memes or just Australian humor and he straight up does not get it. But how do I get into this DM thread? Like how oh, do I? Man, get, why am what? I not included? I'll, I'll make it a group. But <laughs> yeah, if you're an American listening, like as a as a good start on Australian culture, just follow. There's a page called Brown Cardigan, and it's just a collection of like no context Australian stuff. 
Um, not even Australian stuff. It's, it's just funny videos. And so you see like a whole bunch of loose units being loose and things like, do you guys know about magpies? Not really. No. No. So I know it's a bird and that's about that, as that's far what, as my knowledge what, extends. Yeah, that's that's correct. So they're the most aggressive urban bird, right? And so they're notorious for attacking people. We actually have magpie season in Australia. And so if you ride a bicycle, they will like, as you're going past underneath them, they'll swoop you and try and peck you. And they're going for the eyes when they do. And they're really intelligent and they live a really long time and actually learn to recognize faces. So certain magpies, certain people will <laughs> never be, certain people will never be attacked by a given magpie because they know them. But if you're a stranger or whatever, they'll go after you. And so all the way through spring, we have magpie season and it, it becomes swoopy season. And so Brown Cardigan has just video after video from about September onwards each year of people being attacked. But there was, I was listening to this podcast about Australian bird life at one stage because bird song originated in Australia. And there's this incredibly interesting story. And so they went off on a... Until like Australia was founded? Before yeah, then, seven, birds didn't sing? 1788, first bird song. <laughs> up until um, but... But they went off on this tangent about magpies and there was a school in Brisbane in Australia, which is one of our cities. And there was a magpie nest in the front, um, in like the front yard of the school. And this magpie was really swoopy. And it got to the point because I think they had one or two students lose an eye and oh. 10 or two students got hospitalized over the course of this term. It got to the point where instead of just shooting the magpie or relocating it or anything, they were having all the kids form up in a line when they were wanting to enter and exit school and bull rush style sprint across the school <laughs> to get past this bird because it was so hell bent on attacking anyone who went near the tree every single day for the whole of its nesting season. Um, is, this, so, is this like a protected bird or because it where i'm from in missouri not. you just bring out a you 22. just shoot it yeah yeah like you bring out a 22 <laughs> and that like problem is solved really quickly they're not yeah. protected they are very common <laughs> there's no reason why <laughs> but there are phenomenal videos if you go on brown cardigan of people like with their gopros on being swooped by magpies or filming their kids like riding a scooter down the street <laughs> just having it's a magpie <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I live in Texas. We just passed constitutional carry. I'm pretty sure, like, the six-year-old kids going to school would just pull out, like, a little nine and just blow it away. Yeah. Just... <laughs> what are the six-year-olds bringing a nine to school for, though? That's the fuck I did get. Constitutional carry, bro. We can all have it. Like, you don't have to have a reason. And yeah, you don't need to have a reason. You can just have a gun. Yeah. <laughs> you really have to have a reason not to have a gun. Right. Is the way it works now. This is this is not the this is I can't say confirm or deny whether this is true or not. But when you get your Texas driver's license, they also give you a sidearm. They're like, here's your license, and then here is your weapon. Here's your, you are here's required your, to have this. Yeah, here's your carry. You you got that too. Like yeah, we're, we're we're rocks at each other. It's, <laughs> it's it's way more civilized that way, you know. <laughs> Far out. Yeah, America's a different place. You know, I've never even held a gun. I would like, I feel like I would like to shoot one, but I'm like, I get legitimately frightened when I pop a champagne cork. So <laughs> yeah, it's not for, it's not for you. It's okay. Not for everybody. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not for self-defense. I think I'll rely on everyone else having a gun and having like, you know, what, what do they say? It's like for every bad guy with a gun, you want a good guy with a gun. That's what, that's the Texas creed or whatever. 
well, I'm just going to rely on there being good guys with guns around me. And I'll personally walk through like, you know, completely unarmed and just, just hope for the best. That's my, that's my philosophy. Nobody ever shoots the funny guy though. So, I mean, you're good. You're pretty, you're pretty lucky. <laughs> uh, yeah. So long as my content stays tip top. Yeah, it, it, holds, it holds up in movies too. It's good. That's how you know it's right. That's yeah, Steve Buscemi I, in that Adam's in uh, Adam Sandler movie, which was Mr. Deeds. Yeah. He calls him or no, no, it was, uh, what was it? It was Billy Madison when he calls him and he talks to Steve Buscemi who was bullied all the time. And then he just like, he crosses him <laughs> off the list. That's your content. <laughs> Will. Right. <laughs> That's your content. Your content. Somebody saw your post on that. Like the one that you did about like the reaction to your squatting. And they went, you know what? He's Will's okay. <laughs> exactly right now the protagonist never gets shot and as far as i'm concerned i'm the protagonist so we are doing just fine we all write our own stories man we're all just protagonists in our own narrative so yeah, mine's absurdist for sure well it actually that. turned out being the villain in my own story though which kind of sucks well every hero becomes a villain after yeah, so long eventually. Matt. that's just well, that's if you live long enough right isn't that the batman thing yes. that is yes. hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain so you know, you'll know when you pull that gun, it's one or the other. <laughs> I became the villain of my own Instagram, of my own Instagram, like three months ago. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Matt, Matt's yeah. been canceled. I can't even associate with him anymore. You guys really, um, it was when you started saying that PRI wasn't the fix to everything in powerlifting. Is that when people really got mad at you or did you do something else? That was when the people oh, got really yeah. mad. <laughs> Just trying to remember- provide a little nuance in there and nope. Nope, no one's having it. Oh, dear me. Yeah, because I remember when we had you on the podcast, Kyle, it was to talk a little bit about movement quality and powerlifting and like assessments and, you know, what types of range of motion should you expect? And it was all very measured and fine. And then one year later, it's just like, no, get fucked. Like, do your sports. (laughs) And I was like, well, fuck, there goes an episode that I thought was good content. Like, I'm going to have to delete that one now, aren't I? That's actually what I title every single phase for all of my clients is just get fucked. Is all of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's another problem I've had because I name a lot of my programs joke things. But once you've started naming your programs joke things, when you revert to like, general development one they're like oh fuck he's angry at me yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, i'm just out of i'm out of content i'm done you also i was have, tired you have to when es- i wrote this okay you also have to escalate the names and yeah. at some point you hit a peak and they just get worse like there it's yeah. it's a bell curve you of- see that's why i title my programs for clients funny things now and then i title all of the athletic it, the, the stuff is what it's supposed to be it's like get get fucked, latd yes intensification phase yes like one of my my clients long-term athletic development but uh one one of my clients is a is a good friend of mine and he he's very very strong but he does not look like he lifts so the whole program is make him look like he lifts and like that's what i've named the program and he's been training with me for like seven or eight months so far and it's been that title every single time so whenever he has to open it up he is always getting a little reminder that he doesn't look like he lifts and i'm trying to help him (laughs) I mean, that's one way of looking at it. The other way is you say, client retention, I've realized like if you can create enough insecurity that your clients just have like a real emotional dependency upon you and they're too scared to leave, then they never will. And you can jack your prices up unbelievably and they'll still stay with you. So as a business- Stockholm syndrome is a real thing. That that (laughs) Stockholm syndrome with Will Berkman might actually be the- the, That's the podcast. Okay. (laughs) 
And the, the, your, your cover photo just has to be an Australian meme that makes absolutely no sense. Well, I was going to have, I, th- I think Bill has to be the cover. Yeah. You know, I'm going to just plug this because a bit like Burkcoin, I just want the attention. If you go on Giphy and you type in Will Berkman as one word, there is, a, there is like now a little meme thing of Bill Workman just jumping out from behind a door uh, <laughs> that Whoa. you can use. Really? A, yeah. Um, one of the receptionists at the gym I work at, they were making Instagram stickers for all of their coaches. And then I just went, well, while you're doing it, just do more. And Make I sent them a whole me. bunch of stuff. <laughs> and so they made this one. Um, and it's also for anybody who's out there on dating apps, it's also accessible on like tinder and bumble and shit like that as well so if you want to if you match with a girl and you want to send her a gift to get her attracted just send her a video of me okay Uh, i just went on instagram and searched it on on giphy and it is there and it is a real thing and it is fantastic (laughs) oh there you go you are big time you You might be be our most big time guest you are our most famous guest right now i don't think we have anyone else who has a gif nobody else has a jeff I can't wait. All the people who are like, fuck, I've been really missing the boat on this guy. Go to follow me and say I've got like 3,000 followers or something. <laughs> They're like, hang on. Damn it. <laughs> he doesn't even have a verified check mark. This is, I was sold a bill of goods. Yeah, I want the tick. I'm like, I don't know what I've got to do to get the tick Instagram, but like I'm doing so much. So it's about, it's about like your search numbers and how many people search you. So if you just get like a bot account or like a bot web browser to Google your name like 10,000 times a day, you can immediately apply for verification and the metrics on the internet will be like, oh yeah, no, he's, he's very well searched. We'll verify him. Well, let's do one better. Every person who listens to this podcast. There's only going to be like six people though. There's not nearly enough. My mom will listen. So that makes seven. So let's get seven searches for Will Berkman right now. And once you've done it, just message me and I'll message Instagram straight away. Oh, how about, how about this? If you, if the, if you guys send Will a picture, a screenshot of you Googling his name, Will, will you pay them in Burkcoin for it? You know what? Yes. I'll give how many Burkcoin is worth a search. I'll give 10 Burkcoin to everyone who, I'll give 10 Burkcoin to everyone who searches and I'll give 15 Burkcoin to anyone who posts it on their story and searches. There we go. Can you get 25 if you do both? Yeah, fuck it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) He's printing money out here. He doesn't care. Name your price. I'll just give you whatever you want. I will give you whatever you want. <laughs> Bear in mind, you can't redeem Burkcoin for anything, but it is a collector's item. So you never know. For like, now. If, hey. If I get the tick, go. it's like in value. That, you just never know. But that's the thing. If, if you get the blue tick and you have Burkcoin, you could be worth a lot of money because yeah. like, I mean, like, there's there's other there's these other ones that went from like nothing to one cent and people the people who held it made like millions of dollars so you could be that next guy yeah i know the past few days there's been the guy who eight or ten years ago was telling everyone just buy one dollar of bitcoin yeah you know you'll you'll want to in 10 years or whatever i don't know if it's because of the anniversary of those posts or what but there's been all the pictures of him circulating on this luxury yacht just like living it up and i'm so stoked for him i'm like for the most part, I aspire to make money by doing something of value because I feel like I'll feel better about it. But on the other hand, like if by just dumb luck, one of the stupid things I did made me really rich, I couldn't help but laugh. Oh you know? yeah, and like how awesome would your life be? It's like, oh, what did you do? It's like, well, I made a, I made Burt coin. It went from 
a, a millionth of a penny to 10 cents. And then I just, I do whatever I want now. I just retired. That's, um, there was an artist who had that happen to him, not with a crypto. Um, he painted the offices of like Facebook or Google. Do you know this story? No. So he paints the offices and they were going to pay him like five grand or something. And they said, look, we'll pay you five grand or we'll give you some equity. And it was either Facebook or Google. And it's like 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And he was like, oh, whatever. Like, I'll, I'll just take the equity because like, it's fun. And now the guy's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars, just completely. <laughs> and he doesn't know what to do with himself because it was like, I just painted their offices for a day. <laughs> like, yeah, like, you know? it, it, it was literally just like, satin green paint too it wasn't even like a mural or anything it was, <laughs> it was just yeah, a normal exactly. normal paint job it was off-white yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just just off-white paint I, i'd take the borders and did the whole thing and yeah that's actually that's that's the deal man see i'm, I'm all you. about making money for doing nothing like that yeah, that you. actually like i don't need to be like altruistic or like have it be ethical like if i fall into money i'm super happy about it i don't have i don't have to be ethical (laughs) (laughs) well you know i not not so much ethical i guess but i yeah it's more so just like if somebody like if something dumb makes me a lot of money like you'll never see me again on like you'll know because you'll never hear from me again yeah my instagram will immediately go to private and i will never post again yeah it's (laughs) like i'm i'm out of here yeah, no, there is, there is something entrepreneurial about people who are able to lean into stupid and get rich from it. So I'm yeah. like, again, it's cool. I'm happy for them. And I think that's part of what's fun about the internet is it doesn't have to be serious and it can still be good. Yes. And you can still do really well with it and like give yourself and like, I think that's one of the cool things that we are where we are now is like you can do kind of whatever you want and make good money off of it and live a life like a good quality life. Yeah, for sure. Oh, are we ready for the question? Matt? I think we're ready for the question. So we did, we, we did warn you in advance of the one question that we have. Yeah. Um, and I know we've just talked about a lot of, uh, of nothing of importance. Um, so now we're going to get to the actual one that is important. And the only actual reason that we bring people on the podcast, Will or Bill, whoever wants to answer this question, either one of you guys can answer. Um, what trends or things do you see in the fitness industry that really really just bother you and if you would like to name names feel free i know you and i spoke about this a little on instagram and you have one person that you want to call out in particular yeah um Pollock pisses me off <laughs> luke <laughs> he's just so smarmy um we used to actually call him schmullick um, and i feel like some part of it came from smug because He's just, you know, he's so intelligent and well-read and everything he says is so well-considered and you can just tell he's talking down from you from on high all the time. So, <laughs> so fuck Talik. Um, no, more seriously, Luke, I, I very much like Luke. Um, yeah, you guys actually used to, like, you know each other, like, actually in person. So you well, were, you're allowed to say that. Uh, everybody yeah. in Australia knows each other. It's yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> so it's a very small, small. very small place. Yeah. You can't bloody pump a yabby in Australia without bloody sucking your best mate's foot up. They're just... <laughs> um, no, so I did used to work with Luke. And in fact, prior to working at the same gym as him, I was training at the gym that he was working at for quite a while. So I've known him for a number of years now six or seven years um and he is actually a great guy 
Um, and we share a lot of interests. We both like reading the same things. We both play guitar, both love footy. Um, he's just much more intelligent. But other than that, and he's, he's also got a better beard. He's got a better beard. Yeah, taller. He's way more jacked. Um, he's, <laughs> I'm inferior to um, No, I had two things when Matt asked me, and I've completely forgotten the second because I try not to stay angry for long. But the first thing, and I know this one will resonate with you guys, um, is just like the lack of subtlety or like the, the sort of just shitty quality of thinking that you see from a lot of people. And there's a whole bunch of things that I think really contribute to it. And part of it is probably like the bite-sized content thing that we were talking about before. But everyone in fitness sort of comes in and gets their like little three-letter cert or whatever it happens to be and looks at everything only through that prism. Mm -hmm. And they feel like every system that they learn is designed to entirely explain every aspect of their training experience when in reality it doesn't. And sometimes just because something doesn't sort of fall under the scope of the system that you've learned, that doesn't mean that they're like dichotomously opposed. Mm -hmm. And people who are actually good, subtle thinkers can appreciate the fact that observations that they make might be explained by a number of factors. Like everybody needs to learn what multifactorial means. Mm -hmm. But, But yeah, things you observe can happen for a lot of reasons. Things can work in spite of you actually not doing what you thought you were doing or what you were intending to do. And things are just not quite as simple as you think. And I think people just, they speak with a whole lot of false confidence that's designed to sort of prop them up in a way that I just don't think ultimately serves them getting any closer to the truth. And so that, that sort of lack of critical thinking really pisses me off because eventually people do end up going down the rabbit hole and with every sort of bit of good intention, just end up being completely full of shit. And that is something that is utterly pervasive in the industry and pisses me off enormously. And so again, part of why I was saying to you earlier that like, I like to look at people who are doing things that I think is dumb and try and pull the good from it is because in doing that, it also reminds me that, you know, everything that I know doesn't necessarily explain everything that I see. And that is, yeah, that's one of the biggest problems in fitness. And there's a whole bunch of things that I think come from that, but I'll just throw that one out there for now. That pisses me off unbelievably. Yeah, it's a it's a good answer though, man. I got nothing yeah, to say that I but other than I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean that that is that does seem to be the root for most of the conflict that we see yeah. out in the industry, right? It's just it's a lack of context and a pushing of narrative almost always. And then you get tribalism, you get people, you know, appeal to authority, you get people who who really are biased in a certain direction because they again, like they're seeking validation. They're not they're not following the other acronyms to see if like something makes sense or something's even, you know, common, right. They have commonalities between, you know, principles and, and and kind of the systems in them. And I think that's, nobody wants to do that because it's hard. And I think that's the biggest problem that, you know, I had that kind of corresponds with that too, is it's like, we're in an industry where almost all of us agree that it's like, okay, well, if you want to, you know, elicit physical or physiological change, you have to work hard. Well, if you want to create cognitive change, you also have to work hard and you have to try to go through that process. Uh, And nobody wants to apply it to that aspect of things. They want to just go further down the rabbit hole instead of finding another rabbit hole to kind of go down to or dip dip your foot in. Yeah. And I think we're sort of incentivized to try and be all things to all people. A lot, a lot of the times, like, 
you know, I always get the questions about injury on my story and always say like, ask someone else because I don't know. But like, again, you guys have worked in commercial gyms with commercial PTs. Like their clients ask them questions about their injuries, their fucking heart medications, whatever it happens to be. And because as a PT, you never want to not have the answer, you're inclined to say something that may or may not be right. But then the idea that, you know, the things that you did that maybe worked or whatever might have worked for reasons that don't fall under your current thinking is also offensive to you because you're trying to maintain this sort of image of knowing everything and being entirely in control of the plan. And nothing about physical adaptation is as predictable as people think. And being able to sort of embrace that uncertainty and realize you're trying to steer the ship, but you kind of have an incomplete map and the winds are always changing. Like that's not a very comfortable place for people to be as coaches. And, you know, I often think back to like the example, the example like I like to use is when we implement say a different squat variation and say I give somebody a safety bar squat and it helps. It might be helping because it strengthens their quads and upper back. It might be helping because it teaches them to find some, you know, new bracing position or change where their pelvis sits or whatever it happens to be. It might help because it's introducing novelty on a system that's otherwise stale, or it might literally help because it's just fun and your client is training harder. But it's a bit like that. I don't know if you guys have seen the picture where everybody's holding a different part of an elephant and guessing that it's a different object. Have you seen yep. it? Yeah. Well, all the PTs around me seem to be operating like that picture. They see one explanation for why the safety bar might have worked and they forget all of the other ones. And so it just reinforces their belief in their own aptitude. And then eventually they get stuck with a the problem they can't solve because they haven't been taught to think outside that paradigm. And so again, just being willing to say, there are things I don't know and I have these reasons for doing what I'm doing and it may or may not work. And when it works, I'm just going to be open as to why it might've worked and pursue things and slowly rule them out, but operate with sort of educated uncertainty rather than uneducated bullshit certainty that, yeah, that just seems to be lost. And it's, it's very, very difficult. And like Kyle said, it takes, it takes actual hard thinking and embracing the fact that, yeah, you just can't know it all. And that doesn't seem to be there. Yeah. That's a, that's way too rational of an answer. Like that's another one we'll probably have to bleep out. Yeah, we're just going to have to, I think we're going to have to scrap this whole episode, just, honestly. We'll, we'll cut out the last five yeah. minutes for the viewers. I don't think anyone has gotten this far in the episode because they, they <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, this will be good. And then there's an hour and 45 of bullshit about magpies and yabbies. No, I think people stuck around during the magpies. Like, that, honestly, that this was, is how all of our podcasts go on our, like looking at the analytics, our listen rate, we get most people to finish straight through. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, here's to a first where that's not the case. Your mom will at least make it through the, through the yeah, very end. Yeah, she, she, she might be sitting next to your cardboard cutout during the podcast just so yes. she feels like we're you're oh, right there. Mom will absolutely listen. Yeah, she'll make it through the whole thing. My mom, I do like five personal training sessions a week and one of them is mom. So I'm really not doing a whole lot. <laughs> I'm too busy with the cryptocurrency shit these days to actually coach. Being an um, entrepreneur, a philanthropist, a, a method actor, it's a physician, and an aspiring yeah. philanthropist. Yes, yes. exactly. Um, but mom comes to a session once a week. We do deadlifts. And then here and there, we do some single-legged work. We do, you know, an upper body push and a pull. Whole thing takes 45 minutes. But of those 45 minutes, 40 of them are telling me the news about the dog, complaining about dad, 
and asking for clarification on a podcast <laughs> episode that I'd been on that she was listening to. So very little training gets done, but that's the service I provide is, you know. <laughs> Listen, well, thank you for listening, Miss Berkman. We appreciate that. We do appreciate you. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Up, up in our numbers. So closing up for, if you want to be found, which we've already established that you like the attention. You do like the attention. So where can everybody find you? Where's the best place? Um, Instagram is where all the fun stuff is. So that's at w.berkmanpt. We'll tag you um, on I mean, that too. Yeah. You're welcome to email me. It's will at willberkman.com. Um, if you want to find me on Facebook personally, it's Will Berkman. Um, that's always fun. I love friend requests from people where I'm like, we are certainly not friends. It's like <laughs> one one like similar friend and you don't know who that person is and you're just like oh shit how'd you slip through the gate how'd like how did me? you find me <laughs> but so, like so long as i ask my bank details politely i always give them because yes. i'm like because <laughs> you're you're an aspiring you're philanthropist. aspiring philanthropist <laughs> yeah it's well i mean if they robbed me for every cent that i had they wouldn't be robbing me of much so it's fine but um one at pt is the best place to follow me and you know i'm always down for a chat so Perfect. And you just, you just started a mentorship group as well, correct? Plug it, um, well, I'll plug it, but I'm actually going to be closing the intake. So my expectation was that I would get eight to 12 people in the first one. And I've got 28 signups. Nice. Good for you. Yeah, it's great. Um, but I'm going to cut it at 30 for this first one, just because I do want to be sort of pretty hands-on with everyone in it. Um, but I'll be running probably three to four intakes a year yep. ongoing of that. It's largely targeted at powerlifting coaching. We do talk a lot about theory of training. So if you're interested in general strength and hypertrophy, it can help you too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the first of what will hopefully be a few educational products. So that's open to people too. And if you want to learn more about that, again, the best thing to do is just message me. There is a link to the course sign up page. By the time this goes out, you probably won't be able to sign up, but you can still check out what it's about or just talk to me about it. Round two. They're ready for round two. Yes. I've actually thought after we stop recording, I'm going to tell you, I've already thought of the promo post for round two and you're going to love it. So that's a a good cliffhanger for everybody too. Thank you for coming on Will and Bill. We appreciate you too, even though you were pretty quiet. Bill Bill contributed a lot to the video though. So lots of shrugs. You guys, the people who watch the video will be very happy with what Bill did. (laughs) Thanks for having me guys. Thank you for tuning in to Compound Performance Radio. If you liked this episode, please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and drop us a review. We'll see you next time.